Well, today we are continuing our series, the Sermon on the Mount, and so if you have your Bible and you'd like to turn there, uh, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6 today, starting off in verse number 1. And our focus for today is going to be putting our faith in action, uh, which is sort of an interesting thing for me, because I think, uh, for me anyway, it's really easy to start looking into the Bible and looking at, at you know, different things that the Bible says and some neat things to learn but it's more about just learning things whenever it comes to Scripture. The thing that's really important is how we take what the Bible says and then we actually put it into practice, that we put it into action. Uh, there was a story about a, a guy who was the coach at Wingate High School up in Brooklyn, New York, and on the very first day of basketball practice, he had the team come in and he had them all pick up a basketball, and he said, I want you to go to a spot on the court and start shooting where you think you're going to spend most of your time. And so, of course, you know, the guards got the ball, and they went around the perimeter, and they started shooting there, and then, you know, some of the forwards were shooting from the sides, the big men were in the paint, but there was one guy on the team, when he got a ball, he just simply walked over to the bench and just started lofting up balls from the bench towards the goal. Now, obviously, that was a guy that I identify with. I mean, that's a guy who thought, I am never getting in the game, and so I'm just going to sit on the bench. Now, when it comes to our faith, I think that there are a lot of people as believers, we, we believe that there's like this game that's going on, a spiritual game that's going on, and our role is just simply to sit back and watch and let everybody else play the game. You know, it's like, you know, we, we come to church, we're going to listen to somebody sing, we're going to listen to somebody preach, and we're going to get up, and then we're going to go home, and that's really all that there is to the Christian faith. But, but that's not it. You see, the Bible says that when we become followers of Jesus, that God gifts each one of his believers so that they can take those gifts and be involved in life and use those gifts in order to bring glory and honor to our God. And so my hope today is that what we're going to do is we're going to look in Matthew 6, and we're going to see that Jesus shares with us some spiritual disciplines that we are to have be a part of our lives so that as we live for Jesus, that it impacts other people. And so that's what our text is going to point out to us. It's Jesus demonstrating and discussing with his followers how to put their faith into action, what a faith in action actually looks like. And so that's why we'll look in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look in verse number 1. And, and just to give you a little bit of background information, whenever Jesus was teaching the religious leaders of the day, you know, the, the, the church, the church-going people, the people who were like pastors, the people who were sort of like, you know, like what I'm supposed to be, they weren't really big, huge fans of Jesus. Now, when they looked at, at the Scripture, they saw the Scripture as being a bunch of rules and regulations. They saw it as being a bunch of laws that you were to keep. Now, there's nothing wrong with being a person who wants to be obedient to what the Bible says. I mean, that's a, that is a very good thing. But the problem came in that they had sort of crunched down about being a follower of God. Is it just simply meant doing a, a bunch of do's and then not doing a bunch of don'ts? You know, they had all these laws they had to follow. They were trying to make sure they were keeping up with them. And, and they kind of got, they kind of got tedious and difficult. I mean, they were looking at the Bible saying, okay, are we ceremonially clean? Uh, that, you know, have we made sure that we didn't walk too far 
on the Sabbath? Did we make sure that we didn't hang around bad people or ungodly people? And it just went on and on. And so following God basically just kind of got boiled down to keeping a checklist. But Jesus wanted people to know, he's like, listen, following me is not about a checklist. It's not about rules and regulations. He said it's about putting your faith into practice. It's about action. And so because of that, Jesus shared with his followers some disciplines that he wanted to be a part of their lives. And when we talk about what does it mean to be a believer, how does it impact our lives, we're going to see a picture of this today as Jesus mentioned several different disciplines that ought to be a part of your life and my life. And the very first discipline that Jesus mentions in our text is the discipline of giving. Now, I told the first service, I know that back in February, we did a series called Give. I'm not rehashing the giving thing, so don't, y'all don't start getting nervous on me about giving. But there is a discipline, it's a spiritual discipline that is mentioned here that Jesus says is giving. And so I want you to look in Matthew chapter 6, we're going to look in verse 1, and here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of other people to be seen by them. Otherwise, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. I assure you, they got their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I'm pretty sure that all of us in here are going to say, you know, being generous is a good thing. You can't ever condemn somebody who is a generous person. I I mean, I've never never saw somebody who gave a lot and thought, man, what a moron. I can't believe that guy's so selfish that he would give. And that doesn't happen. You know, giving is a good thing. And a part of being a follower of God is that you are going to be a person who is generous. And we're going to be generous because if you follow God, then you become more like your Father. And our, our God the Father is generous. The, the greatest verse in all of the Bible, in my opinion, on giving is John 3.16. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. And so when I look at giving, I see it's a great virtue. It is a discipline that all believers are called to take part in. And so who are the believers? Well, it's people like you and for me and me who are followers of Christ. Now, so I know that giving is important. And so our family, we give. I know many of you, you are involved in giving. You are generous. But here's where it becomes a little bit interesting for me. What is your motive for giving? And you know, when I start to examine the motives of why I even do anything, that can be a little bit humbling. Because I can look at actions that I perform and go, hey, kudos to me. But then whenever I look at the motives behind my giving or the motives behind what I do, it can be a little bit convicting for me. And Jesus was talking about giving here. Now, the religious leaders of the day, you know what they were doing? They were giving. That's a good thing. I mean, they were giving. They made sure that they, were, that they were giving to those who were in need. As a matter of fact, giving, is, giving like that is a, it's a very biblical. 
If you look in Leviticus, the book of Leviticus, it gave a part of the law and it told the farmers, it said whenever you have land and you harvest it, make sure that you don't harvest the four corners of your field, but you leave them alone so that those who are in need, if they need something to eat, they need to take care of their families, they can go to those four corners and they're going to be able to help sustain their families. So giving is something that is mentioned in Scripture. It's a good thing, but where it can become bad is if you are doing it with the wrong motives. If you are doing it in order to receive glory for yourself instead of pointing to God. And that's what Jesus meant when he said back in verse 1, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of people to be seen by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now again, that part I want you to focus on that verse. It says make sure that you don't practice your righteousness in front of people to be seen by them. That word to be seen by them, it's where we get the word theater. Uh, you don't, don't practice your righteousness so that, you are, so that you're just simply not doing it for a show. You know, if you're a part of an acting troupe, when you act, you are portraying somebody that you really aren't. You know, you're putting on a mask. You're, you're basically, the things that you're doing, they, they look good, but it's really not who you are. And that's where we get the word. If you look in verse number 2, Jesus calls people like this. He calls them hypocrites. Now, nobody likes a hypocrite. Why? Because they don't mean what they're doing. They are people who are hiding who they really are. Now, if you're like me, you might say, well, if they're doing good things, does it really matter what their motives are? To me, that's, I think that's a brilliant question. Y'all should be like excited. I even thought of that. And so I was like, hey, is it, if somebody does something that's good, but their motives aren't good, is it really all that bad? Well, here's the biblical answer. The answer to that is yes. Why? Because we are superseding our position. When we do things with the wrong motives, what we are doing is we are, we are doing good things in order to receive glory and attention for ourselves instead of pointing other people to Jesus. You may say, well, what's wrong with that? Well, what's wrong with that is whenever I get people to look at me, that's always a mistake. Because on my own, y'all, I am messed up. On my own, I can't rescue and change the life of anybody else. That's why I want to point people to Jesus, because it's only Jesus who can transform the heart and the life of a person. And so whenever we see somebody who is not genuine then it's a little bit irritating to us because we know they're portraying themselves to be something they're not. I heard a pastor one time describing or mentioning what the word sincere means. And it's a word we use a lot. You know, it's sort of like the, it's, it's the great word. Well, he's being really sincere, though. Uh, you know, he's a person who's sincere in his faith. The word sincere comes from two Latin words, sincera. It means without wax. What in the world does that have to do with being sincere without wax? Well, back in you know ancient days, of course, you know there's all those statues you see in Rome. There's the marble statues and the pottery they used. Uh, they would you, that's you know that's those are the, the the tools they used in order to be able to eat. They put their food in that. Well, whenever they would make that, sometimes the artisans who were not as good they would have cracks in their in their plates. And so what they would do is they would get wax and they would fill in those cracks to hide, to hide them. 
And they were able to sell their goods for more than they were really worth. They would use wax to cover over the flaws. And so those that were really good, what they did is they started, they, they saw that, so they started stamping their products with a little, little phrase that said, Sin Sarah, which meant this was made without wax. It is genuine. And I thought, you know, we live in a, in a time today where there are so many things that really aren't real. You know, we have CGI. You know, you have uh, on your phones, you have, uh, oh, what do you call that thing? Snapchat, where you can do face swap. You ever seen that? That's so weird and freaky. Uh, my daughter has it, and she likes to put our faces together, and then I'll get her on her body, my face will show. I'm an ugly woman, by the way. And so it'll show up on her, and then her face will show up on mine. It looks real, but let me tell you something, it's not real. And there, there, there's so many people who, who look at Christians and they say, it might look real, but whenever I look and see the way that they are living, it's not real. And I believe in our lives, there are many of us who, who've been filling in the cracks in our lives with wax, and, and what we need more than anything else is we just simply need to be genuine in our faith. And one of the ways that we are genuine is whenever we practice the spiritual discipline of giving. And we give because we want to be generous, because that is the way that God has been with us. So Christ mentions giving as a spiritual discipline. That should be a discipline that believers take part of in their lives. But another discipline that he mentions here in our scripture is this one. It is the discipline of praying. As believers, that should be something that's a part of our everyday lives. I, I want to read to you what Jesus said in verse 5. He says, whenever you pray... He said, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. I assure you, they've got their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door and pray to your Father who's in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, he says, don't babble like the idolaters since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your Father knows the things you need before you ask them. Therefore, Jesus said you should pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And then Jesus said, for if you forgive people their wrongdoing, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive people, your Father will not forgive your wrongdoing. Now, in the first four verses, Jesus dealt with the issue of hypocrisy in giving. He says, now, a discipline we need to have in our lives is to give. He says, but do not practice hypocrisy in your giving, where you're just simply giving in order to get glory for yourself. And then he mentions another discipline here. He talks about the discipline of praying. But he says, but be careful not to be hypocritical in your prayer life as well. Now, Jesus mentions the very religious people and how they were praying. He said the, the religious people, they like to make a public display of their prayers. Now, Jesus was not saying that it is bad for us to pray in public. You, you look all throughout Scripture, you see people praying in public all the time. Acts 12, 12, it talks about the disciples gathering together in front of others, and they prayed. When Jesus fed the 4,000 people, that was in public, and he took bread, and it says he took the bread, and he broke it, and he gave thanks. So he's praying. 
Uh, we're told in 1 Thessalonians that we are to pray without ceasing. In 1 Timothy 2.8, we are told, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. So prayer, I think everybody in here is going to say, we're in church, you know. We're in church. We're all going to say, prayer, is that a good thing? Yes, prayer is a good thing. Okay, I have no problem with prayer. It's a great thing. But where we have to be careful is our motives for praying. You know, what is the reason behind our praying? Now, Jesus got on to the religious leaders for the reasons why they were praying. He said they were praying publicly so that everybody would look at them and go, man, look how spiritual those guys are. Now, during this day, there were, there were three ritualistic times of prayer every day. Nine o'clock in the morning, 12, and three. And at those times of day, the Jewish people, wherever they were, they would stop wherever they were, and they would pray. So it wasn't unusual to see people walking down the street, oh my goodness, it's 9 o'clock, and they just start praying. That was normal. Now, Jesus mentions this. He says, you know, that you see people praying in synagogues and then in busy intersections. Now, when he mentions intersections, he's not just talking about any intersections. They were the busiest intersections in town. And what the religious leaders were doing is when it was 9, 12, and 3, they always made sure that they were at the busy intersection when it came time, came time to pray. And they did it so that they would be seen by everybody, so everybody would look at them and go, man, look how religious those people are. Now, that is not the purpose of prayer. The purpose of prayer is real simple. It is to communicate with God. The purpose of prayer is very simple. It is to share with God what's on our hearts. It is to acknowledge to God that we are dependent upon Him. The aim is not to glorify ourselves. The, the aim is to glorify God. And then Jesus also mentioned, he said, any other son that like to play, pray publicly to get attention for themselves, others like to pray really long prayers. Now, is there anything wrong with a long prayer? Only on Thanksgiving. But that, there, there's no other, other times, that there's nothing wrong with a long prayer. That's fine. But the religious leaders were using long prayers for a different reason. They, they were praying long prayers because when people heard them using a lot of words, people could be impressed. Have y'all ever heard this before? Man, did you hear that guy's prayer? Wasn't it beautiful? So long. He was so eloquent when he prayed. That is not the purpose of prayer, for people to look at us and go, man, that guy, he really knows how to speak. The purpose of prayer is just simply to communicate with God. Now, if you looked in verse number 9, Jesus teaches us how to pray. It's called the Lord's Prayer. It's called the model prayer. And if you look in verse number 9, the very first part of the Lord's Prayer, do you all remember what it says? First two words. Our Father. Who's that prayer directed to? God. The, the, the focus of the prayer is not you, it's not me. It's God. Hallowed be thy name. It is a praise to God. It is respect towards God, acknowledging who he is. Now, does this mean that we can never pray for ourselves and pray for the needs that we have? Well, no. If you go through the prayer, give us this day our daily bread. That, it's okay for us to pray for our needs. Uh, lead us not into, into temptation. Whenever we are struggling, it's okay for us to bring our struggles before God. Uh, forgive us our sin, our debts. That is a recognition on our part that it is only God who can reconcile. It is only God who can forgive us of our sins. So to pray like that is okay. That's a good thing. 
But Jesus also pointed out another purpose of prayer when he said this in John 14, 13. He said, whatever you ask in my name, he said, that will I do, that my Father may be glorified. You know how we pray? It is to glorify Jesus. To recognize that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we are talking to him, calling out to him, because we believe that he is our only hope. You know, I've told you before, just a few weeks ago, I said, you know, I've been convicted of this in my, in my own prayer life. Is that There's so many times when I just simply use God as a genie and not talk to God and just simply say, God, I want to listen to you because you're God and I'm not. And to listen to him and open up to him and say, Lord, today I, I want to be open. I want to be aware of what's going on around me. And God, wherever you lead me, I'll go. God, if you, if you call me to reach out to a person I don't even know, I'll put aside that awkwardness that I feel and I'll just reach out to a person because, God, I want to be obedient to you. Lord, if you call me to share how you have worked in my life, how you have changed my life with somebody that I see who is struggling, Lord, I will do it. God, if you call me to give more than I normally give, God, I will do it. You know what you call that? You call that faith in action. And faith in action makes a difference. We had an example of this uh, just last year at Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston. When that man walked into that church and shot and killed nine people senselessly at a prayer meeting. When that happened, the media, I mean, they just swarmed in. Everybody knew it was a tense situation. Everybody knew things were going to get out of hand and blow up, but it did not happen. You know why? Because the people in the church and the families of the victims put their faith in action when they said two very simple words. We forgive. That is the Lord's Prayer. So we forgive. It was such a, it absolutely stunned the nation. Charlie Rose, a national news person, was so moved by it and blown away. He said, this Sunday, I'm going to go back to church because something special happened there. Now, that's what happens when your faith's put into action. That's when Jesus said you want to practice spiritual disciplines because God is different than anything else, and he changes lives. So practice the spiritual discipline of giving, the spiritual discipline of praying. Now here's the last one, and this one was really kind of strange for me because I never really talked about it much or even thought about it much. It is the spiritual discipline of fasting. You might be thinking, great, it's almost time for lunch, and we're going to talk about this. All right, y'all just bear with me. Verses 16 through 18. That's what Jesus said. He said, whenever you fast, don't be sad. Don't be sad-faced like the hypocrites, for they make their faces unattractive, so their fasting is obvious to people. I assure you, they got their reward, but when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that you don't show your fasting to people, but to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, I don't know a whole lot about fasting. I mean, I know what it means. Don't eat, Right? But typically, whenever I hear people talk about fasting today, they're talking about fasting because it's a, it's apparently it's a, very, you know, it's a pretty 
It's a pretty good way, way to lose weight, which kind of makes sense. You don't eat, you don't gain weight. Uh, so that's typically the, sort of the venue that you hear about fasting. But fasting is actually biblical. It's something that's mentioned, spiritual discipline that is mentioned in Scripture. Now, here's what's interesting about fasting. Now, I, I'm just going to ask you this question, and just think about this. You know how often the Bible commanded followers of God to fast? I, I did not know this. I found this fascinating. You know how often we're called to fast? Followers of God are called to fast one time a year. And I know some of you are going, oh, thank goodness for that. But one time a year. That one time of year was on the Day of Atonement. That's when, that's when the Jews were to fast. The Day of Atonement, that is, atonement means reconciliation. You know, it's whenever God makes man one with him, he reconciles him. That's why they'd have the big sacrifices on the Day of Atonement. And Jesus fulfilled that for us when he went to the cross and he took our place on the cross and he died for us in order to reconcile those who trust in him to God. But that was the only day that was ever mentioned that people are required, who are followers of God, to fast. Now, whenever the religious leaders of the day saw this, y'all, they amped it up big time. So we're required to fast one day a year. We're going to fast twice a week. They fasted twice a week. Why? It's to show, show how good they were. The days they fasted were the second and fifth days of every week. Now, the significance of the second and fifth days are the second and fifth days, they were the market days. That was when people would go and they would like buy their groceries. And the religious leaders would make sure that they were in the marketplaces on those days. And they would dress up where they sort of looked like they were in pain. In our text, he says, don't, don't make your, but don't have such sad faces. They would, they would actually put on, like, makeup so that they would look more gaunt. And they did that for a very particular reason. It's so that people would look at them and say, oh, my goodness, look how religious they are. And Jesus said they'll get no blessing from that because they've only, they've only been doing this in order to win the approval of men and he said, I am desirous of them to do this so that they will focus and be blessed by me. Now, is fasting still a requirement for today? Should we fast today? You know, here's what I say. It's okay to fast. If you're physically able to do it, it's okay for us to fast. But why would we want to do it? Well, I think there's a few things that happen. Whenever you fast, it, it's a way for you to say, I'm denying myself. Whenever we fast, it is a way for us to intensify our prayers for someone specifically. If you're praying for someone physically to be healed, that is, a, that is a tool that you can use in order to intensify your prayers toward God. But fasting also is a self-denial mechanism that we use to demonstrate to God that we need Him. Now, let me tell you something. It's when we walk alone, walk in our own ways, that we are most in danger. There's a book I read that had this story in it. It's about a man named Sadhu Sundar. He was a man that was from India. He converted to Christianity, and he felt God calling him to be a missionary to India. So he became a missionary to India. While he was in India, he had a friend who was a Buddhist monk, and they were talking, and they were walking in the Himalayas, and a storm came upon them very quickly. 
It was snowing, and the, the, the monk, the Buddhist monk, said, we have to get back to shelter as fast as we can, or we're going to freeze to death and die out here. And so they're trying to get back as fast as they can when they heard a man who'd fallen off the path over the side of a cliff screaming for help. Sadhu ran over, looked over, saw a man lying there holding his leg. He'd broken his leg, and he could not walk. The monk that was with him said, we have to, God put him there. He'll have to figure it out himself. We've got to get back, or we're going to die if we try to help that man. The man said, I'm... I'm a believer. I can't leave somebody there like that. And so the monk said, well, I'm leaving. And so he walked on, and the Christian missionary, he climbed down, began to try to help the man walk. The man couldn't walk, so he had to pick him up. There in the Himalayas, he picks the man up, puts him on his back, and he begins to trudge up the side of the cliff. And he said, it was back-breaking work. He said, I, I was ready to quit, to give up. I wanted to lay the guy down and forget about it. He said, but I kept on going. He said, I was poor in sweat. He said, I finally got up the hill, walking along the path. I'm walking to our shelter. He says, and I'm stumbling to the shelter. I trip over something, and I look down, and it was the monk who had left without him. He'd been overcome by the weather, and he froze to death. And it was then that Sadhu said, I realized that because I was carrying this burden, and as I was sweating, it saved my life. He said years later, there was one of his disciples asked him a question. He said, what is life's most difficult task? And without hesitation, he said, to have no burden to carry. And as a lot of us as believers, we look at the disciplines of our faith and we see them as burdens. But let me tell you something, it is those disciplines, those things that we look at as burdens that will prolong and bless the life that you live. So Jesus says you practice giving, you pray, you fast. He says they're burdensome, but they bring life. And when people see you putting your faith into practice and not just talking about it, they are drawn to the things of God, and that is when lives are changed. Y'all, we live in a world that is crazy. A world of, you know, as I said earlier, CGI, Photoshop, and face swap, when nothing is real. And people need to look at the church and look at believers and see genuineness with us. Because it is so rare today. Let us follow Jesus. And let us mean it. And let us do it to honor him. Because he is our only hope.